let's set a timer. Do we have a, what's our minimum time that we need on a I, podcast? I would love 60 minutes. I, I don't need even more than that. Let's push for 55 because uh, we're a little behind. Let's push yeah. for 55. Yeah, let's do 55 if that's okay. That's fine. We'll get started right now. Yeah, let's, let's get started now and then see how we're feeling. It is I, Christian Blatt. You know, on last week's show, we were joined from New York City by my friend Adam Wade, and we talked a lot about our time as NBC Pages, and uh, shortly thereafter, that afternoon, I recorded an episode uh, with my friend Tom Kelly, also a former NBC Page, went to his apartment uptown, we had some fun, we had some laughs, and then he recorded over the episode. So, here we are, once again, (laughs) joining us live in person. The one and only Mr. Tom Kelly. Welcome. It is Friday, January the 11th, 2019. Our first Black Cats of 2019. Our first recorded in 2019. And I need to start off because uh, it seems like you're on the go right now, Tom. So what are you doing? You know, I am right now in Bridgeport getting ready to do an afternoon charity show for the folks from People's United Bank at a comedy club called The uh, Stress Factory. I'm sitting in the shadow of the beautiful Barnum Institute of science and history. You'll remember that from the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. And right now, uh, I am replying to the mother of an Instagram troll to get this 14-year-old kid to stop trolling me. (laughs) So, like myself, nearly 25 years out of high school and you're still being bullied. Is that what I'm uh, taking away from this? Yeah, (laughs) and it's exactly... So, long story short, last night I did a show There was a woman from Bridgeport, and their kid keeps sending me harassing messages on Facebook saying I'm not funny, or not Facebook, but on Instagram. So I hit the block button. That's how I do Listen, and this is my advice to everybody in America. Block the hate mail. Block the hate mail. So I blocked him, and now he's emailing me from his Finsta. Do you know what a Finsta is? I don't know what a Finsta is. Oh, that's the word the kids use nowadays for fake Instagram. Oh, I see. So like, so my nieces all have two to three Instagram accounts. My niece Olivia may have six, uh, but, and then I guess you have one real account that, uh, and then you have your Finstas, which are what you use to throw off your parents. If anybody wants to send them hate mail, I'm sure this is a hate crime for me telling you to attack a kid, but the kid's well, trolling me, people. Not, I don't know what to do. You're not, you're not telling people, me long, you're not long telling people to attack him. You're just, you're just having uh, them how, use, you just want people to use strong words against him. You know what? I, I, you know, actually, America, don't do what you have to do, America. But it's saying, <laughs> uh, you know, but it's funny. And I'm, I also messaged his sister because uh, like the, what happened was all the women in his family followed me said nice things about me. I'm trying to get them tickets to a TV show. And then he says, sent me another email that said, 
I wanted to make it clear that I'm someone who enjoys comedy, but I wanted to see how you handle negative attention. I'm your little frigging cockroach. What the hell's wrong with you, kid? And I'm trying not. Yeah, I mean, that's what he said. I wanted to see how you with a big following handle negative attention. Then the next paragraph, and the kid looks like he's anywhere between 12 and 16, especially in today's day and age with social media. It's easier than ever for people to be heard. Uh, and I wanted to see how comedians deal with this attention. And how you're dealing with it is uh, you're uh, trying to get people who listen to a podcast to uh, lash out on your behalf, which I am fully in favor of. <laughs> yes, I guess I am. Yes. Uh, I, I'm not, I, I actually don't know. You know what? Don't lash out. Don't harass them back, America. But I am being harassed by a guy who loves Spumoni but hates Tom Kelly. Okay, so let, let's be fair. I don't hate Tom Kelly, but I do like Spumoni. I find it to be delicious. So, I mean, the kid does have great taste in desserts. we yeah. got to give him that. Yeah, so, so right there, right off the bat, you're like, okay, well, he's got good taste in dessert, but uh, he's, he's sort of a mean-spirited uh, comedy fan. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the comedy world uh, today. And uh, I, before that, I should let people know that they can find you. Are you at Tom Kelly Show on all social media, or do you have— Yes, okay. uh, Tom Kelly Show on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and now Venmo, folks. If you want to tip me— for my performance here on the Blackcast, send me a tip. Tom Kelly show on Venmo. Yeah, and you know, I I think that uh, the thing about Venmo reminds me of how many people I know, or at least are aware of, and some of them are celebrities, and some of them are not, that are basically doing Patreon because they want people to basically subscribe to them. You know, subscribe to their career, and I think that. I, I find it interesting because I see that people are doing it and, you know, they'll create personalized messages for people who are their patrons. And I wouldn't do it for the single reason I've said this before in the Blackcast is I don't want to just check the update and go still zero patrons. You know, I don't want the constant oh, reminder that no yeah. one wants to be my patron. You know, we have a huge fan of the Black Cats. His name is Matt and Casey, and he's on Twitter at Sober as a Bird. He gets a free plug because yes! here's what he does. I love Sober as a Bird. Yeah, he sends us free barbecue. He sent us a $100 gift card to Venmo to celebrate. Uh, I, actually, that was to celebrate our 300th episode. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, not Venmo, sorry, uh, Bevmo, which is, a you know, like a— What is Bevmo? It's I don't a, know Bevmo. Yeah, it's a chain of you know, like a like liquor and beer, and you know, it's a it's like basically a chain liquor store, but uh, so that we can celebrate. So I'm like, that's the only kind of patron I need. Someone who basically bribes me with food and and drink, you know, food and booze, barbecue and booze. That's really all I need. But uh, you know, I, I've decided men at our level of fame and women too. We don't have fans. I hate it when. Uh, people say, oh, I want to thank my fans. Uh, and you have like 5,000 of them on Instagram. You have friends. You just have friends you haven't met yet at best. You have supporters. They're not fan is such a dirty, slimy word. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I actually. Silver is a bird is a friend. He's a friend. That's true. Well, what I will say is a fan of the Black Cats. I don't. I think that the show has fans. I think that I don't have fans. Uh, and then to your point about <laughs> about yeah. young women who might do this, they don't have fans as much as they have people who like them, but also at some point, you know, 
just really want to fuck them. You know, I think that that's what it ultimately comes down to. You know, a, a girl can probably get a lot more patrons, be like, oh my God, we love your career. We're so supportive, you know, but let's read between the lines, you know, Tom. I mean, I think both of us at different times in our life, we've probably been a little, a little hard up. And, you know, if we got some attention from somebody online, that uh, probably would have uh, piqued our interests uh, a little unnaturally. I don't think I'm speaking. Out I'm of that way right now. Tom Kelly show on uh, AOL. If you're still there <laughs> on that, on the instant messenger, uh, Tom, I am ready to go. I'm looking for that attention as we speak. Exactly. So at Tom Kelly's show, and you know what? He's not on Patreon, but if you want to also be a patron of Tom Kelly, just go ahead and send him money. Uh, the last time that I saw you... <laughs> Envelopes uh, of unmarked bills also work. You're right, exactly. Well, yeah, just uh, just uh, pick a pick a park bench in the New York metro area. <laughs> Tell him where you yeah. taped taped the envelope under the bottom, and he'll just go pick it up. That'll be easier, you know. Um, you get me, Christian. Oh, you get me. Yeah, cash money. That's 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 what it comes down to. Now, the last time I saw you, uh, you were kind enough to have me sit in the audience for Good Morning America and the the sort of the the afternoon version GMA day, which uh, was a lot of fun because I got to watch you at work. You've been doing uh, audience warm up of various kinds for quite a while, but I'd never actually seen you do it. I had seen you. Uh, perform comedy m many times back in the day, but I'd never seen you do this. And uh, it was just fun to watch you work, you know? And uh, I remember I was taking, because you're allowed to take pictures before the show starts. So I was taking pictures of you instead of the set or any of the people on it, because I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm getting pictures of Tom. And I remember I hear a voice in my ear, which is like, what are you taking a picture of? And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm friends with uh, Tom, the warm-up guy. And I look, and it's, oh, George Stephanopoulos was just like, what could you possibly taking a picture of in that direction? I'm like, oh, the human that's standing there, that's who I'm taking a picture of. You know, it's funny. I, I, he is the kindest man, and I think he's very eager to see me be successful, and I keep screwing that up every time he <laughs> shows interest. Uh, and I think that's example number one, what you just did. Like, oh, no, I'm Tom's old friend. Yeah. We just didn't think he'd make it this far. <laughs> this is a this is surprising. Yeah. Uh, and then today he laughed at one of my jokes and he goes, Tom, is that a new one? That's great. And I'm like, no, nah, it's an old one, George. George, four years old. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> actually it was uh, not that old, but it was a joke about uh, uh, my uh, about Pete Holmes dating Ariana Grande. And he said, Tom, that's great. Is that new? And I'm like, no, it's old. Sorry. <laughs> you know, let me, let me go kill myself now, George. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I don't have, I don't have uh, any know, new ones, Let me go George. be depressing somewhere else. <laughs> but so it was fun to see that show. And then, of course, as I mentioned, our lineage as uh, NBC Pages, the co-host of GMA Day, uh, Sarah Haynes, also was an NBC page. So that was nice to get to talk to her for a second. So we had a little, little mini page reunion on the set there. And uh, it was fun to be in that uh, flashy Times Square studio. How early do you have to get up to do uh, audience warm-up for a show like Good Morning America? You know, the nice thing about living close is it's not that bad. Uh, or I can complain, but I shouldn't. The crew is there at like 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, and some as late as 5. Uh, I go in, the audience starts loading into the studio at like 7.15. I get in there at 7.30. So I wake up at 6, which isn't that bad. And if I could learn to wake up faster... I could probably even wake up at 6.30. So uh, it's not, not the hours are rough if you're doing late night work. Like yeah. uh, I've been booked in Bridgeport for five nights in a row, but they have not given me a hotel room because I have to go back to the city every day. 
So I've been commuting at 10 at night, an hour back to the city. So I've been on six hours of sleep and I've hit the age where I need my eight hours to be funny and nice. Yes, I uh, I had hit that age and uh, then I had kids. So uh, I'll, I'll, you know, lock me into a solid three or four. And uh, yeah, I, I I won't be particularly funny. I'll be mildly amusing, but I definitely won't be nice. But I will be awake. I will be present. I will be in the room, and I will show up mostly on time. So you know, it's uh, I, you know, I if I got eight hours of sleep in a week, I feel like I've hit some kind of jackpot. No, and along those lines, Christian, I I, I talk to young dads like you, and I am just pleasantly surprised that the human race is still around. Yeah. By the way, like, not, why do people pro- like you've had two kids? You knew what you got into the second time around with Lucy. Yeah. Well, you know, let's just say her name was almost whoops. Uh, but it's just just comedy. Just comedy. <laughs> just comedy. We knew. What and we how great doing. would the, And I'm just imagining uh, like a 60 year old Lucy finding a, yeah. a treasure trove of MP3 well, files on. One of dad's old laptops that's, and then finding out she was a mistake. That's why I just said it's just comedy. It's just comedy. We, it was, it was well-planned, you know, we had to, we had to try for a little while, but uh, not as long as we thought we were going to have to try. Let's put it that way. But, uh, you know, Thomas, here's the thing about, here's the thing about being a parent. The trying is kind of the only fun part, but anyway, uh, <laughs> but by the way, I really wanted to just stop down and say how much I appreciate you calling me a young dad, because let's be honest, I have young kids, but I'm not a young dad. I will, I will, yeah. I will be almost 43. Well, I am almost 43. I'll be 43 in less than a month. And I was thinking about our time in the page program in just over a week. It'll have been 20 years since my first day in the NBCA page program. It was, uh, wow. Ja- I think it was January. Yeah, I've known, so I've known you about 21 years. Then. Yeah, exactly, because I knew you a little bit before that. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, uh, you know, job anniversaries and and friendships for people I met after college shouldn't have lasted that long. You know, people that I've known 21 years should be, like, basically somebody I met at birth, you know, somebody I grew up with. Yeah. But it's like people that I've known professionally outside of college. It shouldn't be that long, but uh, here we are, you know, out, out of out of college more than 20 years. That's uh, what starts to happen. So let's not dwell on that because it'll uh, – well, it'll be it'll turn well, into a depressing show. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, let's just you know, it, I think it's nice. I, you know, I it, this stuff used to bother me. Now I find it pleasant because uh, a, a friend of mine uh, who I've told you a lot about, a friend of mine who was a, a a Catholic priest, but a fun priest where you could just be a man with him uh, and not talk about religion if you weren't religious. But he had a great line towards the end of his life, and his line was, "Tom." If you still have five friends uh, when you're my age, you're a lucky man. And, you know, and I got guys like you in my life and uh, I'm lucky to have known you 20 years. And what's fun about having old friends uh, is it's nice to know some of this stuff happened. Like I'm now at this age, especially as I'm now I've gone to thousands of comedy clubs by myself. What's nice about your friendship uh, as a as a page and uh, as a fellow comedian is sometimes I feel like a lot of our early experiences were just weird daydreams, maybe yeah. even nightmares, depending on the, the night. <laughs> right. And for better and worse, it's nice to have someone to know, did I really say that? Yeah. Did that really happen to me? Yeah. You know, uh, so it's good. It's good to have you around, man, still. And it's great that you got this forum. So that way, uh, 
Christian and I don't call each other socially. We only broadcast together. Yeah, and then sometimes those broadcasts get recorded over, and then uh, yes. and then there's a there's a brief mm-hmm. cooling down period, and then we uh, we uh, have at it again. But uh, before we <laughs> dive, <laughs> well, and, and no, and the nice thing about this audience is uh, it bumped me up on the callback list, so that you, I'm deleting this one if I can. Yeah, well, yeah. See, here's the thing: you can't delete this one. If this one gets deleted, it's on me. <sighs> And then I'm an idiot, you know, and that's entirely yeah. possible. I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule out that I didn't hit the record button. You know, I mean, that could happen. Uh, in any case, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about before we do- dive into our real topics, uh, we were talking about you doing the audience warm up for Good Morning America, and you had texted me something, which I saw in our text chain, so it reminded me, and it was actually the last time we communicated before I started trying to set this up, that... You know I'm a fan of the band Kiss, and they were in studio. Mm. And so you said in the text that somehow your friendship with me helped you in that interaction. Do you remember the story? Oh, oh not just you, Christian, but uh, let me th- thank you, Sober as a Bird, and the other uh, Bladcast listeners. Uh, when you put me on your your the first one you did, you had me on where you came to New York. Yeah, you played the song back in a New York group, mm-hmm. and and I love Kiss. I just never know what I'm listening to. Sure. And anyway, um, everybody knows all night long, uh, rock and roll, roll all night. night. I mean, sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, and anyway, there's just this long pause, and we needed another song to play with Kiss standing there. So I, we went straight to uh, back in a New York group. So that covered another four minutes of dead time. And it was just fun to watch the crowd rock out to it with uh, Kiss watching. And you feel when you watch, when you talk about people and their old hits and their bands and old hits, you don't know if they're going to be excited they had an old song and people still appreciate it or if they'll be miserable about it. And I was just very impressed that Kiss... Uh, was glad their fans were still celebrating their music. Now, so it was a nice moment that you uh, were the first domino in helping to create. Domino, also the name of a Kiss song. But anyway, uh, <laughs> true, true story. And also the name of the pizzeria I'm getting my catering from tonight. <laughs> oh, they, well, you're in Bridgeport, Connecticut, so who can blame you, you know, for... Oh, uh, that's, that's the caviar pizza up here, my friend. <laughs> I know, I'm sure, I'm sure that's... A, how far from uh, Manhattan is Bridgeport, by the way? Uh, probably it's 30 miles. So, uh, ULA folks will appreciate this on I-95 in Connecticut. That's anywhere between, uh, 90 minutes and six hours away. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's, that's basically what it takes for me to get from my house to the studio. Now, the interesting thing about the song back in the New York groove, by the way, is that it was on the solo album for... Ace Freely, who is actually not in the band anymore, but they have a guy in the band who wears his makeup. His name's Tommy Thayer. He's the pretend Ace Freely. So uh, it, it was an, it was interesting that there was no brushback for that song selection. So uh, I'm glad it was a nice moment. Is what oh, I'm saying. you see now there you go. I didn't realize. Uh, uh, and you see, this is the problem and the risk 
you take when you start playing bands music in front of yeah. the band you I, don't know what songs they hate anymore so you're right yeah. that could have been a career I, ender i don't so i'm glad they were gracious about it yeah i don't i don't think that uh, that they you know they hate it per se but uh i i think that it just sort of reinforces the idea that you got four guys in makeup nobody really knows who's there the people know who gene simmons is because you know larger than life most people know paul stanley and then the other two guys you know they they could put you and i in that makeup i i think we might not wear the costumes quite as well and then when it came time to perform that might be a problem but just you know sitting around it, it could be it could be most people in there is, a, is the way that they look at it um although for my kiss fans listening i do think that they're very talented musicians but anyway so uh, you know we've uh, we've bantered a lot in these first uh, 15 minutes or so but what i really wanted to talk to you about was there are a few things going on in the in the world of comedy and you were writing about some of them on facebook and i felt like well this would be a, a great topic for a black cast because it is it's always an excuse to catch up with tom and like he said if we're not recording it, we're probably not talking, you know? So, uh, yeah. so I figured like I wanted to talk to you about it, but also, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to waste that opportunity. I want to get that as content. So, um, we could, we could spin the wheel of topics if you like, or if you would like to start with something in particular, uh, let me know what you're most interested in of the topics we had talked about. Well, I think, give them the list, because I think they all have a common thread. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about Kevin Hart. Yes. Uh, we were talking about Louis C.K.'s recent rebound, which I almost wonder if that's dated news now. Um, a Because I think bit, so but... many other things have come up. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about the comedian, uh, not the comedian, the weatherman, who oh, called yeah. in a quick flub on air, Martin Luther King, uh, Martin... Uh, C word for black well, people yeah, king, it, and what may have been earnest or not earnest of a, a mistake. I actually, I think it was an earnest mistake and we have to choose whether or not to forgive, I think is the, uh, uh, yeah, real leap I, there. I mean, and I then, think, uh, there was the third one. What was the third one? Another one. Well, the third one is, is, is more of a general thing that we'll probably talk about towards the end of the show, which is really just this idea of what is being dubbed anti-comedy and things that aren't really comedy anymore and people who aren't comedians. And, you know, look, it, it's easy to, you sure you can make the joke that someone like Carrot Top or Larry the Cable Guy are anti-comedy, but you know what they do? They they uh, sell out and get a lot of people to laugh. So uh, I would not make those jokes. Those are very talented uh, jokesmiths, and maybe they're not for everybody. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I would say, Kevin Hart, because that's the newsiest of the bunch of them, and he continues to make news. And... Uh, I, I think just to sort of give the quick bullet points for our listeners who maybe aren't as as in depth on this stuff as some of us, you know, he was very happy to announce that he was going to host the Oscars, you know, the Academy Awards, and then it was brought to light some jokes that he had made uh, about a decade ago uh, about you know homosexual themes you know that uh basic things like you know the the easiest one to reference is that he hoped his kid didn't grow up to be gay and there were jokes that stemmed from that uh you well know, and the one to add the important one to add that changes a lot of my views on it not just jokes about if his kids were gay but he would hit the kid if the kid was gay right was that's in a great, there 
you know, I actually forgot that part of it. So yes, that that is certainly yeah. worthwhile. Uh, yeah, and that'll be a game changer for me. But let's keep yeah. uh, and that he also used uh, the FAG word, uh, the sure. F word, a lot in yes. uh, a couple of tweets. Right, and and so, and, so but here's a couple things. So here's a couple things that happened after that. Uh, he, the Academy Award, said he needed to apologize. He said he didn't want to apologize for what he had said. He then resigned his host of the Oscars, and he sort of apologized after that. You know, it, it's basically one of those, look, I was a different person. We, I, I think I've learned a lot since then. Uh, I apologize if, if my, my words from 10 years ago hurt you. And, uh, you know, I think that's sort of, that's the apology that he was comfortable making. So that, you know, look, and that's his business. You know, it wasn't important. It wasn't so important that he host the Academy Awards that he needed to, you know, throw himself at the mercy of the American public. And so then he basically went on Ellen DeGeneres' show, and she got a lot of feedback for trying to, you know, sort of help him rehabilitate this and have the conversation, which I think that's fascinating that Ellen got flack because it's like she's just like, yeah, I'm just going to talk to this guy and... You know, here's what people tend to have a lot of problems with these days is having a conversation with someone whom they probably disagree with, you know, and I don't even know that she disagrees with Kevin Hart. She certainly disagrees with what he had said. But, you know, jokes get outdated pretty quickly. Uh, I'm as I've talked to people about this, there's two things that I always highlight. One is if you look at some of the material in Eddie Murphy Raw, one of the funniest comedy films I've ever seen, one of the funniest stand-up sets I've ever seen, uh, there's a lot of material about homosexuals. If you look at his Eddie Murphy comedian album, I think it's the second track is actually called that word, the F word with the double G's, for homosexuals. That's the name of the track. On the album, you know, you would be like, oh, I want to listen to that. Let me drop the needle. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. So yeah. it looked different times. And, there, you know, there was a time where Eddie Murphy was going to host the Oscars, but uh, it, it didn't even get to that point where he would have needed to apologize for anything. Uh, so that's basically some of my my overall broad thoughts about it, you know. Yeah. The, and, and look, well, to, to there's be fair, a those, lot to unpack there, and I yeah. think we should slow down a yeah. bit on it. And uh, that Eddie Murphy content every, is from... Everybody th- listening yeah. has, knows the story enough yeah. to know. Let's first start off with, he also said a lot on Twitter in the year 2011. Right. And Nick Cannon was quick to point out a double standard on his tweet, uh, which were also to just talk about what the year 2011 was like. Uh, I was not, or I, gosh, I'm, I'm 90. I was not saying FAG at that point in my life. At that point, FAG was sort of outdated. Um, but, um, Amy Schumer, who I adore and is a big, uh, advocate for gay rights, uh, and LBGTQ RSTUV causes is, but Amy Schumer also had tweets with FAG in it. Chelsea Handler had it and Sarah Silverman had it. And uh, Nick Cannon pointed out, which uh, we can agree or disagree with a second, that why are we only bringing down the African-American comic, right? Uh, the African-American male? Um, I think we got to go through a few things. First, um, the, the joke we could put in its own bubble, but I think by today's standards, he's a good guy. He didn't mean it. And I think there's something to be said about apologizing quick. I think his problem... 
And this is my through line through the three topics that you have brought up. None of these people have really apologized and seemed like they meant it. And Sarah Silverman was quick to acknowledge the Nick Cannon uh, uh, unearthing of her tweets. And, and her line was, first, you got to say you're sorry and you mean it. And two, you got to do something to show you're sorry. And what I didn't like about Kevin Hart was I just wish he blatantly manned up and said, listen, I have apologized before and I apologize again. Um, in the art of using irony, I made this joke uh, in my standup and I have used a word that I now know not to use. Uh, and I often cite this guy's name. His name is Justin Lewis, a friend of mine, Justin Lewis. Um, I, I, don't th I don't think I was ever using that word F-A-G, but definitely I would say uh, that is so gay to say something yeah. is cheesy. And he, in a little online forum and like a BBS or a small little uh, chat group with a couple of uh, closed friends, he made a very, he made arguments that eventually became a PSA, which is if you called it Justin Lewis, would it be a compliment? Like, uh, that, uh, that pink outfit is so Justin Lewis. If Justin <laughs> Lewis wouldn't take it as a compliment, right. uh, then you're using the word gay as a slur. And, uh, so I think he won with all three of these guys. They have apologized badly and I will break down their apologies for you later. Um, but Kevin Hart, if he first manned up and said, I'm sorry, obviously I never advocated violence. I don't think he's blatantly said it like that. And you got to also keep it short. Uh, a Whoopi Goldberg once said to the crowd, I asked her when a celebrity was in trouble, I'm like, how do you get this stuff to blow away, even if it's not your fault? And her line was, you apologize, you apologize quickly, then you shut your mouth and you lay low for a while. And Kevin Hart, listen, he had a dream job taken from him. Uh, as we come off the Golden Globes, which were preaching diversity, uh, we've lost a new African-American comic who could have hosted the awards, um, you know, like in a good one, a guy who was just good because he was funny, a guy who happened to be black. Whereas I really thought um, the Golden Globes, um, they put Sandra Oh into a comedian's role and I did not enjoy her comedically. You no, know, she and, was and not Amy was, Poehler. She was not Margaret Cho. I mean, I could go that through was other comics. Yeah, I that was unfair I think Sandra O oh is just a yeah. charming actress uh, and say, not a comedian. I think that's what they were going for. You know, Kevin Hart's funny. Um, mm -hmm. I don't love all his jokes. Sometimes I think he's too harsh. I love his pitter-patter. And, you know, and I think uh, when we get when we start moving on to the Louis C.K. one, which yeah. is a bigger one, um, what is comedy, too? And I think... You know, I don't justify his jokes, but I am an absolutist on freedom of speech. Uh, Tracy Morgan also told a similar joke um, about um, being violent if he found out his kid was gay. And some of this might be from, and I, and I say this as a white man looking in from the outside, but is this what those guys grew up with in African-American neighborhoods? Uh, and I don't know. And that's the point of comedy to bring you this stuff. Um, is this something they grew up in their particular families or, uh, what, you know, and is there a way to acknowledge that homophobia and grow from it? And that's what you said at the beginning was a great thing is uh, we're quick. You know, we're not letting anybody apologize and forgive. Now, I, I and I stand by this. The apology was a lame apology. I do agree with um, that. Yeah. You know, and uh, I could do the, you know, with Kevin Hart, um, 
he didn't mean like I just think he said. I think it was more about why are you still mad at me than the apology. And there's something to be said where Sarah Silverman, who has apologized for her remarks before, re-apologized in her apology. Um, and I'll tell you a funny side one where you talk about Twitter and armchair justice. A woman who has apologized for similar things, um, Roseanne Barr. Um, I went to Roseanne Barr's first live stand-up. Actually, her first live appearance at a comedy club is the right way to word that. Uh, she was doing a podcast with a rabbi called Rabbi Shruli, who seems to be the guy you go to if you're Jewish and you're going on an apology tour. And you know what? Uh, added a, the woman, Roseanne, went on a bunch of tirades, offended the African-American community. It was all over the interweb that she would be performing in this spot. And I thought it was a great chance for, for black folks to protest or re express their anger at her. And out of a uh, hundred pro-Israeli Jews who went to the show and then another 25 Gentile, uh, uh, curious Gentiles is how I would describe myself. I went for journalist. I went as a journalist, not as a uh, audience member, just to make that clear. Um, but only one black guy went, went, and his name is Sherrod Small. He's a great comedian, hosts a podcast called Race Wars, and he just happened to be there. You know, that's why right. he was there. And, and I think nobody was there to confront her uh, and, and ask her why she was sorry or why she, or, or to say, we don't forgive you yet. Um, but I think the whole thing is, Christian, uh, and listen, we're two white guys with similar backgrounds from just two different parts of New York. You know, the hard part is it's not you and I, whatever we have today is not a real conversation on race because we both uh, are looking from the outside of the fishbowl in. Um, but uh, there's something to be said about I have come a long way. Uh, I look back at certain things I have said over the years with shame. And quite frankly, I look at things I did today with shame that I need to improve upon. And uh, I had a great conversation with a deaf audience member today. She came with a translator. I called her hearing impaired and her name is Opal. And Opal stopped me mid-sentence uh, through the translator and said, uh, Tom, uh, in the future, we do not call people like me hearing impaired. I am deaf. And I had a great line. And I said, would you please explain that to me and correct my ignorance? Uh, and then she said that we call people I might call hearing impaired deaf because deaf says I can't hear it ain't going to happen. Deaf people would prefer to be called deaf because it means hearing impaired means we're going to fix it. Deaf means it ain't happening. Yeah. And I found that to be, you I know, think, and I, I think, think what we're missing is a chance to correct his ignorance yeah. and give him a chance to grow. Right. And I think that's the interesting thing, you know, sort of what you're saying. It's like a lot of times people decide for, say, the deaf community. Like, I think that they would prefer to be this. You know, my my boss, Dennis Miller, makes this point somewhat regularly about the term little person. Do little people prefer to be called little person or is that more demeaning than some of the other things you would call them? He just legitimately doesn't have the answer. And I think I'm like, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know. If that's what they prefer, that's what you should call them. But if they're like, yeah, I don't know. A bunch of tall people started calling us little people and uh, we just didn't think it was worth fighting. But no, we don't like it, you know. And so that's that's sort of a great example there. And, you know, look, 
Kevin Hart's tweets aren't from that long ago. The Eddie Murphy comedy that I'm talking about is from 30 or even 35 years ago. It still doesn't make it okay. It's just the narrative was so different even when Kevin Hart was doing it. And, you know, Eddie Murphy's hardly out there. He's not really doing anything. He doesn't need to apologize for anything because he's not doing anything. He's not He's not promoting a movie. The problem with Kevin Hart is that he had to then go out and promote a movie. And you can't lay low. And so then you get interviews like the one he did with your friend Michael Strahan where he didn't want to say anything because he felt like he'd said it already. And that's fine that he feels that way. But, uh, you know, as, as someone who's interviewed people, you're like, oh, come on, just give him something. Give him anything. Well, I you thought, know? well, you know, and it's funny. I really, one, uh, I rarely watch, because I'm working during that hour, I usually don't watch the GMA 7 to 8 o'clock hour live. Uh, I thought Strahan gave a compelling conversation with Kevin. And, and Hart, uh, I don't know if Kevin Hart said things I agree with. Yeah. But it was a powerful conversation in that, you know what? He said he's tired of apologizing. Yeah. Now, in his case, um, I think Louis C.K., who will put on the side for a second, yeah. and the weatherman, if we could hit that weatherman story quick. Yeah. Uh, I know Al Roker and a lot of prominent African-Americans have pushed to get this guy his job back. Um, I want you guys at home and girls at home to... Uh, Watch the weatherman, and what's the weatherman's name? I don't have the notebook in front of me because I'm sitting in the Volvo here. Um, what was the weatherman in Rochester's name? Yeah, uh, Jeremy Capel is his name, and you know there have there have been some you know African American community leaders who have said you know he shouldn't have lost his job. I understand the reaction by the station because it's a it's a small station. It's in Rochester, New York, and. This clip went viral over the course of a weekend, and they apologized for it a couple of times on their morning news, and then at noon, and then by the 5 o'clock news, the general manager was there saying that they'd fired the guy because they felt like, oh, this story's getting out of hand. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't see any way in which this guy wasn't misspeaking. And when well, you and I were texting about it, it's a testament to all of us who speak, especially on any kind of live broadcast, but in front of a crowd, even something that's recorded, you know, you have to be so mindful of how you speak and what you say, because there are a lot of ways to trip over that word where it wouldn't have been construed as anything. You know, you could have called him Marty. You could have said mommy, <laughs> Luther King, you know, you could have done a lot of things. He just happened to trip over, you know, I guess if he'd somehow coughed the N word in there, that would have been a lot worse. But he pretty much said the worst way that he could stumble over it. And that's what, you know, look, people need to talk fast in those jobs. Uh, I do feel bad for the guy. I did think it was a funny clip when I hear it. You know, that's the thing. It's hard sometimes to separate when you hear these clips because you're like, oh, man. But then when you hear about the guy losing his job, you're like, all right, I, I don't know if that was, that was necessary. That guy, it was sorry. He very quickly said, I'm so sorry I misspoke. Obviously, Martin Luther King's a great man. And uh, Kevin Hart sort of says he's tired of apologizing, but he hasn't really apologized that much. He said a little something. He apologized to Ellen. And then he's like, all right, I'm good now. But what he really wants to do is promote his movie. You know, so he's like, let's not have this overshadow everything. Well, and to your point right there on Kevin Hart, there are, I, you know, and I, there, I have gay friends who have felt Kevin Hart didn't mean his apology. 
And uh, and that bothers me. On the weatherman mistake, uh, I, I just had, I had a great Facebook conversation where uh, one of my friends, John Luke, had a great line. Uh, one, why do people keep making this mistake? They feel um, th- th- he's not the first guy to make that mistake. No, uh, and there was and a there was a, there really was a Washington high... Post article that has a list of five well, or six prominent there, broadcasters right, who have Tom, been forgiven Tom, for the same mistake. There's a really high profile uh, but the difference one too. Is, I don't think the weatherman should have been fired necessarily. I think there's about 10 other people who should have been fired too, who didn't catch it yeah. or didn't make them apologize within that broadcast. If, if we're firing people, uh, everybody involved in that broadcast from the top down to uh, the traffic reporter um, should be looking for new jobs if we're firing people. But, right. my, but my point about uh, that weatherman, I don't want to get into who should be fired or not. But what I didn't like was you have to watch his full Facebook apology. When you mess up, and this is something I am learning in my life still, I apologize quickly, and then I apologize a second time later um, to make sure I'm clear on it. If you watch the, uh, the weatherman's full Facebook apology, he does about two minutes of thanking his pastor and his fans. And again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, people who should not be calling their supporters fans are... Christian Blatt, Tom Kelly, and weathermen in Rochester. Um, you know, let me add to that list. Uh, but he, but the moral of the story is he, he didn't apologize. He had his wife awkwardly sitting behind him. He was shooting in selfie mode. And I don't know what reputation consultant gave him that advice. Yeah. Uh, but, and maybe somebody did like, you know, we're all now, you know, there was a big thing too. When Kathy Griffin apologized, she looked too good. But there had to be some sort of a middle ground. And what you do is you say, but this is what you do. When you screw something up, I don't care if um, you, you offend your children, you offend your wife, or you offend an entire race of people. You, and, and it's an accident. You say, I'm sorry. You say, I'm sorry fast. And clearly, you acknowledge why you are sorry. And then you don't talk too much. So you don't put your foot in your mouth. Problem with Kevin Hart now is he said so many things. There's so many sound bites. The apology is buried. Um, with this newsman, for me, the apology was so bad. Now, uh, and it's funny, we had this great Facebook chat of a, uh, a diverse group of high school friends. And one of the women in the chat said, the apology was so bad, we now wonder, did he say other racist things and we just didn't, uh, we missed it? You know, like the apology, his apology was strange. It was like, he and his wife just got out of the shower. Yeah. Well, you know? here, so, Tom, here's my thought on that. So he, the guy, and I believe he was the chief meteorologist for that station, but still, he's a weatherman. So what he's probably not good at is talking extempor- extemporaneously about, you know, his life and his thoughts and things like race. So he probably should have written out a statement and, you know, if he didn't want to be seen reading, you take the time, you write it out on some cue cards, you practice it, you rehearse. I think that's more a testament to that's not the kind of broadcaster he is. You're right, though. It, it was a little weird. Hey. I, I, and, yeah, and, look, and, it's not impossible. And, it's and, and, yeah. and this is not Al Roker on the Today yeah. Show. This is not anybody on a national show or Fox News. You're right. It's Rochester. The Blackcast has as many subscribers as this evening newscast. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, that I might be holding them to a higher standard. Um, and, and uh, you know, with, with both of those cases, uh, what I think 
came out of it just a little bit is if we're a little more willing to forgive and let people talk, there's a chance for people to grow. Um, I, again, I, I have, I have benefited from friends who have let me be the awkward old white guy that I've aged into. Um, I'm from New York in a time when the Italian people lived in one neighborhood, the Irish people lived in the other. And in the 1970s, when I was born, at least to the people who bore me, you know, at least to my family members, I was the product of a mixed marriage. And that's hard to imagine nowadays. And I get that. But I grew up with Italian grandparents who used to say crazy things like, it's not your fault your father's Irish. And that was sort of a little bit of a diminutive. Um, And so, quite frankly, when I learn about other cultures, um, I have a sense of wonder that sometimes comes off as ignorant or unpolished. Uh, I miss the days of being able to own that rather than apologize for it because there's a chance to learn about things. Like, uh, I mean, it's, and again, it sounds crazy now, but I went to a high school that was pretty much half black, half white. Um, it might've been 60 white, 60% white, 40% black. But, uh, you know, I remember being God 15 or uh, years old and realizing two of my black friends weren't just black. They were Jamaican. You know, and it sounds crazy, but what black people come from other countries? It was just, again, my ignorance was corrected. Uh, and I and I think what we're because we're we're so eager to shame people that you don't give people a chance to experience the joy of correcting their ignorance. And I and I, God, I, I know one day I'm going to run for office and someone's going to dissect this podcast. Um, but. I'm going through a big Catholic and a big religious uh, movement and I won't push religion on anybody because I don't know really how much I believe in God lately. Um, but I've been studying the radical Christian concept of forgiveness. And if you go for Jesus forgiveness, it's once you say you're sorry, you got to let it go. That's what, you know, a lot of real cat, uh, not, uh, or Christians and believe, uh, like certain Christians believe you say you're sorry, God forgives you. It's over. Then the Catholics say, no, 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 you got to put some work into it. You got to go to church, show up on a Saturday afternoon, confess, and then the priest tells you what to do to make it right. That's reconciliation. That's not just forgiveness. That's reconciliation. And, you know, and I think there's something to be said as human beings. What do we want from people? You know, I get the idea that just saying I'm sorry is not enough. I, you know what, I grew up for as much as I think I grew up in an ethnic family. Uh, I hate the word white privilege, but I grew up with some of that. I get it. Um, but what are the standards for forgiveness? Now, this guy, Rabbi Shmuley, who went on the tour with Roseanne, he felt the Jewish people believed uh, you have to say you're sorry. You have to do something to say you're forgiven. Um, and then you are forgiven. Um, and, and there was a third standard that I'm missing there. I think you have to acknowledge it apologize, and then do an act of contrition. But then what he felt Roseanne should have been able to do was go back to her sitcom right away. Right. In Roseanne's case, too, the thing you need to do is uh, take your claim of being an executive producer on the new version of your sitcom without you. You just say, fine, don't put my name on it. Go ahead and let everybody get back to work. That is, you know, a a multi-million dollar act of contrition that, uh, you know, because Roseanne should obviously be a uh, executive producer on the Connors. And 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 now can she produce the next show? I don't know. I I don't want to. Yeah, uh, I think in, well, in Roseanne, there's a bigger case of Roseanne didn't just offend Valerie Jarrett. 
She also, uh, the day before that offended, uh, she was very irresponsible on Twitter. She yeah. was recirculating blatantly fake news about, uh, uh, and I don't even want to reopen the wounds, yeah, but she but was recirculating legitimately dangerous fake news about other celebrities. Um, yes. She was legitimately like pizza gate level fake yeah. news. And, you know, Roseanne was crazy in that box. Kevin Hart, I think he would have been a great chance to host the Oscars, but I get a, uh, uh, I could see where people are a little bit turned off to him. And there's something to be said, is time part of contrition? Yeah. You know, like, like in Louis CK's case, which is a whole other big bit, <laughs> which could bring us to the big comedy conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Louis CK's case, uh, I think people just don't like, and actually I'll add Matt Lauer to it just for fun. Cause and I'm still vague on exactly what things Matt Lauer did wrong. Um, uh, just because I have not read on it. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of what he did was, uh, you know, I think a lot of what Matt Lauer did was consensual, but because he was who he was, there was definitely a power imbalance for people that he was involved with. And, you know, I think when you read it, especially the fact that he had that that button that would close and lock the door, it's a little, you know, it just it reads really bad. So it's one of those ones where you're like, you know, even if a little of that is true, yeah, they had to get rid of him. But I, let me just back, let's backtrack a little bit just for a second, because yeah. you were a very well, I was going to say well spoken, but well written on this uh, Kevin Hart issue. And uh, to the extent that people wanted to share what you had said. Now, I know you wanted to take your comments to a comedy website. Tell us why oh, they actually. Didn't... I was well written on Louis C.K. Oh, is that okay? Um, That's my apology. Yeah, okay. I was well written on Louis C.K. Okay, I thought that was on Kevin Hart. Um, okay. Which, which uh, I wouldn't mind if in your show notes, if you would uh, be so kind as to republish it, I, I would be fine with it. Um, I wrote a article that I could not sell to a couple of different websites, uh, an opinion piece on Louis C.K. trying to reboot his comedy career. And to add to the Louis C.K. thing is one, it was whether or not he should reboot his comedy career. And two, he had an awful act with a few morsels of genius buried in it. Right. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit. And, about, let's talk a little bit about those and, things before we dive yeah, can into you, uh, it. Expand yeah. on it so, so I don't sound like an idiot. So Louis C.K. Obviously, there are the allegations which you know have to be true because he, to some extent, apologized for him. That he liked to masturbate in front of women. Now he felt like it wasn't. Uh, you know, it was a thing where he asked them and Sarah Silverman in particular, there she is again. Uh, she thought it was funny that he wanted to do it. So, you know, she was, I don't know, early twenties and she's just like, uh, yeah, I want to see that, you know? And, uh, even the comedians who told the comedian, I, I don't know, are we allowed to say comedians anymore? I feel like we just say comedians. We just say actors. Now the female comedians who sort of broke the story were like, yeah, we didn't even want all this for him. We just kind of wanted to tell this story about, you know, how we didn't think he was a great guy. Um, so that happened. And then he started just showing up at places like the comedy cellar, you know, places, mostly the comedy cellar, from my understanding, places that he had a good relationship with in New York. And so then he goes out to, I believe, Governor's Comedy Club in your old stomping yep. grounds on Long Island, and he does a set. And now, somebody like Louis C.K., you know, uh, look, I once saw an and this is, this is, I don't think I've even ever told Tom this. Uh, this was like 20 plus years ago. I saw Dave Chappelle at like one in the morning do an hour at, uh, I think it's 
uh, it might even be uh, the Underground Comedy Club. It's one of those ones downtown, like in the village. And I, it was like, he wasn't huge yet, but he was like, he's like the guy from Half Baked. I'm like, oh my God. So that happens a lot where people will show up and they'll try out material. So, you know, I think a lot of people, when they're working on a new act, they're trying out things that aren't fully formed yet. And so Louie does this set at Governor's Comedy Club. And somebody films it because that's what happens in this day and age, especially because it's kind of newsworthy. And look, people can film whatever they Wow, your, your, car, your car is making a lot of noises. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. I'm just, uh, uh, if you can be smooth with me yeah. and edit my channel out, I'm just going to transition to uh, the comedy room. But keep we going because I'm listening we, and we loving this. We don't have that sort of uh, smooth channel uh, separation, but that's all right. I'll just shout. Crap, okay. No, that's okay. Shout. That's better. Yeah, that's just what I'll shout. do. So uh, my thought on that is, you know, you can record it, you can post it on YouTube or whatever. The thing that I was annoyed by were websites who then posted it, like BuzzFeed. And somebody on Twitter who I can't give credit to because I don't remember who it was said, if somebody sat in the back of Hamilton and recorded it on their phone, would these websites be posting, you know, somebody's intellectual property? Now, obviously, this is a little bit, this is newsworthy, and I understand posting, I guess, clips and things, but some of these websites who posted the whole act, I'm like, it's kind of unfair separating from it the fact that it is Louie, that he did these things, that people don't like him. Uh, I I found that to be, I don't know, it didn't, it, I, I didn't love that these websites posted his whole act, but uh, you know, it, it was out there anyway, I get that, but you don't have to make it that easy for people to find it. Uh, well, so I, I mean, listen, let's start slow. So much to, the problem with the Louis C.K. story is there's so much to unpack. I don't know if we could do it intelligently uh, in the in the eight to ten minutes we got left. <laughs> right. Um, but the first thing is, I agree with you. First, let me say this is a blanket thing: bootlegging kills comedy. Bootlegging kills entertainment. Uh, not just for the freedom of oh, the joke was funny in the room. And I know we'll hear little rebuttals on that of, uh, oh, but what if it's hate speech and blah, blah, blah. But overall, um, comedy is, as I go to a comedy club right now, uh, comedy is the art of taking swings, learning what works, learning what does not, and boiling it down into a successful act. Okay? Uh, so right now, I agree with you on that. Now, even though it's – and whoever did that Louis C.K. thing – uh, you are as bad for comedy as any millennial out there. Cause I think Louis CK <laughs> was robbed of a chance to look at what he was doing right and look at what was doing. He was doing wrong in his act. Uh, cause I think Louis CK is for better and worse. And I'm not even a big fan of his, but he is regarded as one of the great comedian minds of our generation in the last five to 10 years. And again, I'm not a big fan. I don't necessarily say that for myself, but I know, listen, uh, he has had one or two amazing bits that have really uh, turned a mirror to ourselves, uh, including one of his episodes of Louie, where he really just explored the idea of, I'm a 40-year-old man who is dating, a, he was dating an overweight 30-year-old girl yeah. and his own shallowness. Like He did a great job with that. Um, and he's a creepy man exploring his own creepiness. And maybe by exploring that creepiness, we could turn a mirror on ourselves. Um, so the big ending here is one bootlegging kills comedy Two, 
what we have not acknowledged. Did you listen to the whole 40-minute set? I, I did not listen to the whole 40-minute set. Uh, I, thought about, uh, I thought about doing it. It's worth it. listening to yeah. because now let's agree with whatever Kevin Hart said about FAG 15 year, uh, eight years ago, whatever the count is, Yeah, that it was uh, that we didn't know better 10 years ago. Um, Louie is using the word F-A-G as a punchline and it was a weak punchline. It wasn't even like it set up the joke. He was just saying it to say it, uh, in a couple of spots. Um, there's a lot, he was doing yeah, so black Tom, guy Tom, dick my, jokes. The question you that know, I have just, is, is that the, a lot of the attention was on a joke that he made about the kids who survived the Parkland shooting, and you said that's like far from the worst thing in this set, right? That 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 at least you can see how that's offensive. But I'm like, look, that's a that's an interesting comedic idea. Go ahead, explore that. Some people get really upset. Some people might laugh, uh, you know. And I I think that being able to take a chance like that is exactly what comedy comedy is about. If you succeed, if you don't, that's fine. Comedy is about swings and misses, and with Louis C.K. there. He was, uh, comedy is about also, too, tackling that which is sacred. You're not interesting, because you went to a high school where kids got shot. Why does that mean I have to listen to you? Why does that make you interesting? You didn't get shot. You pushed some fat kid in the way. I mean, now I got to listen to you talking? And I'll tell you what. What he had there was he tells some silly uh, – I mean, it's a partly silly and partly brilliant joke about uh, the Parkland shooting. Now, first, he is making fun of something sacred, uh, the same way Carlin made fun of Jesus H. Christ himself. This guy is going into, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's attacking sacred victims of a school shooting. Yeah. And I don't know, if, and I, I think that's the right way to call it. Let's call them sacred. Yeah, I um, agree. You know, these are kids just like you and I once were. Um, and who weren't, frankly, much younger than when I met you, full of hopes and dreams, and they had all of that robbed from them. And he has this great bit, but he does it in such an obnoxious and dark way. He talks about kids aren't kids. They're now testifying before Congress and does a funny impression of the millennials. And what I found brilliant in that joke, uh, and then he also talked about that the kids who survived the shooting were hiding behind the fat kids. That's wrong. It's offensive and it's funny. It caught my attention <laughs> and it made me pay attention to his next point, which is yeah. uh, we're doing so little about gun violence that we're not paying attention to kids who can, you know, kids are not being kids anymore, man. We have metal detectors in schools and even in the nice neighborhoods. Uh, my high school my, or my home school district is spending, I think, an extra five, uh, I think they're, uh, uh, they're spending an extra five to eight hundred grand on school security guards now. Uh, so the, yeah, come on in. Uh, so they're spending five to eight hundred grand on school security guards because of this, you know. And, and that's what Louis C.K. was doing there. He was bringing it. You know, Louis C.K. brought attention to uh, to to what we're doing to school kids nowadays. You know. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's odd for some people to think about the fact, but the simple uh, fact is, like, 
this most recent season of South Park, they did a brilliant job addressing school shootings because of the fact like by pointing out how often they happen, they have the kids sort of just not even really reacting to the fact that there's a school shooting in their school. And it's like, oh, what a terrible idea. That's so dark. But you're like, yeah, but in general, that's kind of like us as in the American people because they happen so often. And you never don't think that it's sad, but people are starting to move on pretty quickly. You you know, you have Look, gun control is a very divisive issue that we're not going to dive into here. But it's, again, another one of those issues where people don't want to have a conversation about it. I feel this way. You feel that way. We're going to just disagree. And it would be great if people could talk about, like, okay, you're a card-carrying NRA member. What would you be comfortable with? You know, would it be okay if we did this? What about that? Okay, what wouldn't you be? You know, and no one wants to do that. They're just like, well, we need to do this. And... Whether that's right or that's wrong, I don't know. But it's another one of those issues that's well, so tough to navigate. And yeah, here's the thing and, and about guess, Louis making a joke and, about and it. Po- okay, well, you make your point. Sure, go ahead, Sarah. No, no, if I make no, I want to build up on your point because your point about bootlegging then brings it home. When you bootleg a show, what you risk is uh, for every one potential uh, George Carlin seven words bit, there's probably 10 bl- bad jokes about black guys, wieners. I don't know. You can name your 100 things. Uh, and this is why I'm an absolutist on freedom of speech, is if you don't risk the bad jokes, you're not going to get the great ones. And what I think comedy is, is I, what I hope Louis C.K. does, is he tells enough of these bad jokes that he can boil it down and then get to uh, a much better act. Because I'll tell you, the 45-minute the set that he presented on that bootleg tape and uh, let's agree that's tainted evidence, as they say on Law and Order. But I looked at it anyway. Yeah. Uh, that that tainted evidence is I see a few morsels of genius. Uh, I think his apology at the beginning of that set is a non-apology for his. Um, I think he's playing the poor me card, and nobody wants to hear a millionaire talk about how he lost uh, money. Yeah. I don't want to hear a guy with two hundred million bucks in the bank whine about how he lost thirty-five million. Whoop-de-doo. But onto the but onto whether or not we can joke about Parkland, you can. It's a swing for the fences. And I think it's the point of, uh, you know, comedians are the jester. It is our job to keep stuff going. We make fun of that which is sacred. Um, we make fun of that which is sacred. And you hope that it keeps the conversation going. Uh, so I think in Louis C.K.'s very hacky, awful bit, and I don't defend anything the man does. I've never met him. I don't know him. Uh, but I defend his right to tell bad jokes, including racist jokes. And, inclu- you know, now should we attack him later? Whatever. But armchair justice just bothers me. So uh, uh, in com- that room, yeah. he got a standing ovation. Now, granted, right. it's Levittown, Long Island, 300 <laughs> people. I'm sure one uh, I'm sure 295 of them were all white. Um, yeah. so I, I get that. Um, you know, d- does it feel like a douchebag clans? Uh, uh, does it feel like a clan rally with Camaros? Maybe. Um, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, what on Long Island isn't a clan r- rally with Camaros? Uh, so a couple things is look, 
Louis could have taken all of that material and honed it over a couple of months. And, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know who's going to buy a special from him now, but he did. He was kind of the first person to post a special on his website and have you buy it from him directly. I do think people will find him again. And we've sort of barely talked about the idea as to whether or not he should be allowed to rehabilitate himself. I think give him, you know, that's what he does. Let's see if people are okay with him doing comedy. And if they're not, you'll find out pretty quickly. So I think some of the comedy clubs were asked, like, you know, could you let us know that he's going to be up? Because, you know what, maybe we don't want to see him. But you also don't want to advertise that he's going to be there because then that creates other problems. So I don't quite know what the fix is there. I do. Well, I I think the fix is just what you said. You said it a minute ago, man. Comedy is going to go back. Comedy started as that, you know, uh, like, are you watching uh, Mrs. Maisel? I'm not. My wife watched the first season without me, and uh, she loved it, and uh, a little bit disappointed in the second season from her point of view. Okay, but but there was a great thing, and we don't have to go too far down this road, but in the first season, Mrs. Maisel brings back the concept of Lenny Bruce. Right. Uh, And Lenny Bruce was a guy who went to jail for saying the F word and making fun of Jesus in comedy clubs in the village. Now... You know, in the 1950s, there was nothing more offensive than how can you blaspheme the Lord? And uh, and I honestly am not a huge enough Lenny Bruce fan to know which bits made a difference in the world and which did not. Um, well, but here's what, the thing uh, about that is that a lot of it's there's not a lot of recorded Lenny Bruce because of those reasons you're talking mm-hmm. about. People were afraid to have recordings of it. They weren't sure what that was going to do. So there's not a lot of examples of it. What he did later in his career is he would sit there and read the court transcripts, which, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Not, and, you know, not as an Andy Kaufman bit. Of like, you know, trying to see how long you can go before people walk out. You know, he was just legitimately doing that. What I will say is that rumor is he had an amazing bit that he had an amazing one line that that transcends a lot for me. And you, there was a there was a comedian who had really carved out a nice living in the early '60s. His name was Von Meter. He did an impression of John F. Kennedy. He did a you know perfect impression. He kind of looked a little like him. And that was his career. He made a living off of it. You know, it's like it's like Rich Little and Nixon. And (laughs) so on November twenty third, nineteen sixty three. By the way, only you could pull off that reference nowadays. Yeah, I know. It's just for me and you. Uh, So November twenty third, nineteen sixty three, at probably at the Village Underground, Lenny Bruce takes the stage. First thing he says, you know, people like, oh my god, what is there going to be to laugh about? First thing he says, poor Von Meter. And it's just like, you know what, you found an angle to laugh at, because it's not not funny that the president got shot, but you sure did find an angle, you know, and uh, that's, that's what I know about him, but yeah, so... I know that didn't really help help our uh, time crunch that we're in, but uh, I thought it was a no, good no, time no. I, right now, I'm I'm comfortable now, but I may drop any second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, but, Tom, but, that's but that's all of us. That's all of us in 2019. There are two more big things with Louie. Yeah. One, all comedy should be able to turn a mirror onto that which is sacred. Yes. Uh, I do think we have to risk with free speech and and comedy. Uh, you have to risk bad and awful jokes to get the good ones. Uh, I would, uh, and to your point, I think he has been robbed of the chance to boil down that forty-five minutes. And out of that forty-five minutes, 
I thought there was the beginning of a great joke with him uh, starting on his road to forgiveness, but he was not there yet. And then he had uh, this Parkland bit, which, uh, listen, and I'm going to get vilified. I don't like the idea of making fun of school shooting victims. I don't. Um, and I do think those kids um, are American heroes. And because they are American heroes, I think making fun of them uh, or, or the way he was doing it, he pointed out a great thing. Those kids shouldn't be American heroes. They should be talking about uh, they should be talking about changing the world. They've been robbed of their chance to be children. You know, they've been robbed of their chance to go to the prom in a fun way. They've been robbed of their chance to be silly and go to homecoming. I mean, their lives became serious. I think that, in fact, I think I haven't heard that. I only listened to the tape once, but I think that was Louie's point is we're also serious. Kids are serious now. And we are doing that to them with our lack of gun control laws, uh, our lack of mental health uh, laws for whoever are doing these shootings and yeah. stuff. Whatever it is, however we're messing up handling the gun shooting problem, and we could argue about the details later, what Louis C.K. did was point out that we're not taking care of the damn problem. Yeah. And, and, what it, and what are the ripple effects of not taking care of that problem? You know, and, uh, and then I'll add one more thing uh, if you have nothing else to say on that point. Um, the last thing I would say is, and it brings us back to what the beginning of this stand-up conversation or the beginning of this uh, topical conversation that we've been having is you need to say I'm sorry, you need to say it fast, and you need to look like you're really sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, the Louis things from 10 years ago, uh, there's a great line in The Godfather. Uh, we're all a part of the same hypocrisy, Senator. Um, what bothers me about Louis C.K. is I do not justify whipping your dick out to masturbate in front of women at all. Uh, but I will point out that there has been, not necessarily with the group of comedians we started out with, I think you and I, um, and, and I don't think I say thank you enough to those guys because uh, I was so hard to deal with back then. And I think we were all know-it-all jerks in our own ways, but especially me. Um, you know, we started out with a group of good guys. We really did. And, 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 two, and one good girl, I think, for, your, for our comedy class. But we were all good people. And uh, because of that, we were able to be funny together. But when I started branching out to other parts of the comedy world, com there's a lot of booze in comedy. There's a lot of sitting around late, waiting, getting drunk, doing drugs, getting high and waiting to go on stage that uh, I was sheltered from because I got to start out with you guys. Um, and uh, I was never a part of it. And the, the Louis C.K. rumors have been out for 10 years. I think the New York Times timed that article to do the most damage to him, to do the most vengeance on him. Uh, whether it's right or not, we can debate. But they happen to. Those stories have been out for 10 years. And you're telling me that they published those stories the day before his movie came out is suddenly the day that they had enough uh, information to go public with it? Not a week before, not a week after. Um, and, and I think what happened with the Louis C.K. thing is, one, we're all a part of the same hypocrisy. And I hope that by... His stories coming to light, uh, we were profiting off his darkness and his sliminess. He never kept what he did a secret. His whole show was based on him being really, really creepy. Right. And two, um, and I think what I find scary is just with this, and even with R. Kelly, I've been telling R. Kelly jokes for years, and I've been booed for it. All of a sudden, Lifetime did one special, 
and we're all like, R. Kelly, you're mean. You're awful. Guess what? <laughs> R. Kelly has been awful since the year 2003, at least. Uh, uh, and it, I, it's it's before you know? that. It's when it's when he married yeah. it's when he married Aaliyah when she was fifteen and uh, faked the paperwork. Look, it's it's before that. And by the way, it wasn't just a yeah. special; it was like a six-hour miniseries. But yeah, R. Kelly is somebody that we've known has been a bad guy for a while. Uh, I had heard exactly what we know about Bill Cosby now. I'd heard that about fifteen years ago, and I was just mm-hmm. like, "Well, people don't talk about that." And you're just like, "I don't know why they just don't." And yeah. you know, and I, Kevin Spacey was the other one. Kevin Spacey. Yeah. I heard uh, I once talked to a Broadway publicist who once said, Tom, one day you're going to hear stories and you should come back and uh, I'll tell you the ones I know. Yeah, right. And and I mean, and th- yeah, those continue to happen. And uh, I I think that Louis getting an opportunity to try and do comedy that can sink or swim. I think the bits. You know, uh, look, I do, I did, well, I don't know. I'm not going to lie and say that I, I don't think he's funny anymore. I haven't seen him to- tell a joke in a couple years now. Uh, I liked <laughs> okay. I, I liked all but one season of his show, uh, and there was just one really, you know, just like almost just too self-involved. It wasn't even funny. Uh, but it, the, it came back, and it was it was good. I saw him do 90 minutes of stand-up before. Uh, I, I told my boss, Dennis Miller, that I saw him do 90 minutes. Minutes, he's like, that's a cry for help. Somebody doing 90 minutes. <laughs> and not only did I think it was, one. yeah, not only did I think it was funny, but I was seated right behind a very pregnant Christina Applegate who was laughing so hard, I thought her water was going to break. So I thought he was very funny because he was dark, because of the things he said, because, you know, you feel like he doesn't hate his kids. But there's a moment where you are you get so infuriated with your kids. This is before I even had kids. I'm like, I understand. I get it. I understand that people on stage are, you know, to some extent playing a bit of a comedian. You're playing an exaggerated version of yourself. You're, you know, you're you're being somewhat honest. But to your point about being a comedian, being a professional comedian, uh, there's there's that hour you're on stage, in Louis' case, maybe an hour and a half. So then there's 22 and a half other hours in the day that you gotta fill with something. And if you mm-hmm. hate yourself, that's hard. So uh, it's difficult, let's say. And he's clearly got a weird thing that that uh, he was into doing. And uh, some women responded well, some didn't. Now, where that story gets into the bad territory is when his manager got involved and threatened the girls who knew the story. And by girls, I'm, I should okay. call them, I should call them women. women. Yeah, I should call them women. Uh, but. You know, it was like, you don't talk about this or, you know, these career things, you know, will happen to you. You know, they threaten their career. And I'm like, well, that's certainly not right. You know, Uh, and look, Louis may or may not be involved in that. But that's the worst part of the story is the threats made. Obviously, well, I guess the worst thing is doing it in the first place. I, I don't know how to quantify all of it. There's a lot of bad. But being told that if you talk about it, something bad's going to happen, uh, I think that just sort of adds an extra layer that makes it a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, I honestly don't know what I would do if I was at a comedy club and Louis C.K. came on stage. I feel like I would watch just to kind of people watch a little bit. How are people reacting to it? I'd want to know. I'm like, is he still funny? Can he be funny right now? Or is he too fucked up in his own head? Uh, I know I'm friends with a female comedian out here who she's very outspoken about how he shouldn't get the chance. And I completely understand that standpoint. I feel like people should determine whether or not they want to see him. And 
It'll be interesting. You know, I, I Googled him as we were talking, and there's a headline. Should L.A. comedy clubs book him? Well, yeah, go ahead and book him and see if people come. And if they don't, and I guess I shouldn't use the word come, but see if people show up <laughs> yeah. to attend. It's that, Christian, it's that time they're giving me the hook. I got to go on right. stage. Is that okay, my friend? That's all right. The Sandman is telling you to get off the stage. So I'm getting the broom, so I got to go, okay? I I'm appreciate this Bye. conversation. It's always great to have Tom Kelly on the show. Uh, and we knew that that was something that was very likely going to happen at any moment. Uh, we'll have him back at some point. But I really want to know, Black Cast Nation, what all of you think. Do you think that Louis C.K. should get an opportunity to still go on stage? Should he be able to talk about it? Should he talk about, wow, I've been going through a lot, and try and make jokes about it? Should he talk about any of the things that he talked about? I feel like if you're going to joke around about sacred cows, joke around about any of them. You know, people will joke around about 9-11 survivors. They'll joke about 9-11 hijackers. They'll joke about what, I don't know. Can, can we say it's the worst day of our lives? I think it's fairly simple. Uh, maybe some of you weren't directly impacted on it, but let's say the worst day in this country's history, I feel like it, it is comfortable to say. People can joke about that. So I'm open to someone joking about kids who survive school shootings. I don't know if I'm going to think it's funny, but if you want to explore that, that's your right as a comedian, as a creator. We can use the word artist if you want to. I don't know. I really don't know where it goes, if it's funny. I just think it's really hard in this day and age to actually be funny. And I think that. I think you can't joke about anything. But I saw a great tweet from Ricky Gervais uh, just a couple days ago. He said that basically what he said was, no, you can still joke about anything you want. You just have to be ready for the repercussions. And I think that's absolutely true. You can still joke about anything you want, you know. If Kevin Hart wants to make more jokes uh, that have the, that F word that means homosexual, great. Go ahead. Just see what happens. You know, you're already kind of, on, you know, on thin ice with that. So see where it gets you. I don't know what the right answer is. I just feel like people should be able to work out what's funny. I have had the privilege of working with Dennis Miller for a long time, and I've seen him work on a couple of specials, especially his most recent one, Fake News, Real Jokes, which is available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Steam, and all other major platforms. That's right. I worked a plug-in for the man himself. Uh, I've seen him sort of develop and cut down bits, change the words, and it's a fascinating process. It's, it's amazing that changing one word all of a sudden gets a much bigger laugh, or when there wasn't maybe a laugh there, you find the laugh by using a slightly different word. And I think that as someone who dabbles in comedy, that writes comedy and tries to think of themselves as someone who's funny, I find the whole process fascinating. So if Louis C.K. were to take this 40 minutes or whatever and continue to work on the bits and develop it, he could very well get a good hour of funny comedy out of it. Whether or not anybody wants to see it, that's their choice. You let me know. Let me know what you think. You know, have we been right about any of this? We've we been wrong about all of it. I don't know. Uh, that's why we turn to you, Black Cast Nation. And how do you keep in touch with us? Well, if you want to keep in touch with Tom Kelly, he's at Tom Kelly Show, as he mentioned. Me, I'm at Christian DMZ. And if you want to follow the Black Cast, of course, it's at Black Cast on Twitter, at Black Cast on Instagram, and at Black Cast. I think it's The Black Cast on Facebook, actually. So you can find it there. 
And I welcome this conversation. We can continue it. I'd love to continue it with our friends Will and Jeff. Uh, next week, I believe our episode will be a special recap of season 11, the most recent season of Doctor Who that saw the first with Jodie Whittaker, the female incarnation of the Doctor. And I'll be joined by my friend Zia Anderson, Zia Landerson, who's been on the podcast a number of times in the last few months, as uh, she was on the AfterBuzz TV after show for Doctor Who, and I guessed it a couple of times. And we felt like maybe we didn't really get to speak our minds on how we felt. And we both thought that Jodie was fantastic as the Doctor. We both really liked her. We thought that some of the storytelling, some of the writing was a little heavy-handed. And we will really delve into that next week. And in the very near future, uh, we'll get together with uh, Will and Jeff again. We'll have Coltrane on before you know it. But that's all we have for right now. And we will see you next time on The Blackass. I finally died. Which started the whole world living Oh, if I could only see That the joke was on me That the joke was on